Good news, NFL fans. DirecTV has expanded NFL Sunday ticket this season. If you live in an apartment or enroll as a college student, now you can get the NFL Sunday ticket without a satellite. How great is that? To see if you're eligible, go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code RINGER at checkout to save 15%. Do it. Welcome to GM Street. I'm Dave Frazier, and I am on the road in a remote location in North Carolina. And there in the studio, Mike Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? I am good, Tate. I'm good. Happy Labor Day. I mean, it's always good to labor on Labor Day, right? I know. I can't believe it. They got us working on Labor Day, so <laughs> hopefully so we're nice. catching it overtime, especially you, because you're actually in the studio. I'm I'm being a bit of a bum and being uh, off-site today, so... I appreciate you being the man and working hard. It was interesting. I uh, experienced Los Angeles without any traffic. It's really a neat town if there's no traffic. You know, like, it's really kind of cool. It's like you can get over here in 20 minutes from where you live, and it's kind of nice to move around, (laughs) you know, but... Whoa, traffic, uh, it's, it throws a problem into the whole L.A. living thing. But anyway, here we are. we got to talk football, Tate. Let's do it. Let's talk about some football. There's been some big stuff going on. Uh, what just got reported, what just came out actually before we just got on the air, is Andrew Luck, a lot of people have been speculating about him not being in the best of health. He gets pulled off the PUP list this weekend, um, and now we're saying that he will not be starting week one. They're hoping to get him back for week two when they play the Cardinals. But right now, Andrew Luck out week one. Scott Tolzien, the people remember from Wisconsin, will now be the starter for the Indianapolis Colts. What does this mean for the Colts and especially Andrew Luck? I mean, where is he at right now? Well, look, here, here's a couple things that people don't understand. If he stays on the PUP list, he can't come off until the sixth game of the season. So this is mm-hmm. always the challenge that you have is if you keep him on the PUP list, you lose him for six weeks. If, in fact, he's – if it's an, it's easy if it's an eight-week injury. But if it's like two or three more weeks, you can't leave him there. you got to activate him, and then you got to carry him even as one of the players you don't dress, which is no problem because you're only going to be – you have to only can dress 46 players anyway. So that's why they do that. And then as for the long term – I. I think what you're seeing in Indianapolis is is a change in the whole whole system of what they're trying to do. They know they have to keep Andrew Luck healthy. They know they have to keep him upright. And I think the Philip Dorsett trade was more a reflection of that as opposed to they're just trying to build this team to win this year. They're not. I think Chris Bauer, the general manager, is trying to reestablish some form of philosophy and commitment to the offensive and defensive lines and to make this team a lot stronger and try to clean up the mess that was left behind that he inherited. And the really the selling point of this job is Andrew Luck. And if you let him play and he's not healthy, then you lose the main piece to the what makes the Colts so effective and what, why people think that this is a job, if Chuck Pagano loses it this year, is a job that most everybody in the NFL wants. And Chuck Pagano, speaking of Chuck Pagano, they, he had a press conference about a week ago and they were asking him about the status of Andrew Luck. And he said he hadn't seen Andrew Luck throw a pass since December. So for for all the Colts fans out there, I'm sure that's a that's a bit of alarming to hear the coach say that he hasn't seen the guy throw a pass in that long. He has to say that, though, Tate. Tate, he has to say that. Here's why. Because he's on the PUP list, which means he can't really compete with the team. He's off on the side. Mm-hmm. So he's over there with the trainers. He's over there doing things. And he can't do any football activity on the field with other players because he's on that list. So he has to rehab and do all the things off the field so that so Chuck really was being very politically correct with his answer. Now, I'm sure he's probably walked over and watched the trainers move the medicine ball around and do some things. But the reality of it is, is he can't do anything until he gets off that list. Now, I think this week they'll be able to see him in practice, see what he can do, see how what his arm strength's like, see how he builds it up. I think those are the things. But to me, 
if I'm Jim Mercer and I'm Chris Ballard, I am not putting Andrew Luck back on the field. I would give him the month of September off. I would not let him go back out there until he was 100%, until I kind of knew what this team was a little bit, particularly in the offensive line. The last thing you want is a quarterback who's been injured to get injured again. And we were talking about the uh, the trade earlier. You mentioned the New England Patriots on Saturday. We we had mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago. You you talked about Philip Dorsett being on the trading block for the Colts and the New England Patriots strike again. They trade Jacoby Brissett, who they drafted from NC State. They trade him for Philip Dorsett, and uh, so you have Brissett there as a good insurance policy uh, with the Colts. And it, it, isn't it weird that the Patriots and the Colts were able to strike a deal? I mean, those two teams are kind of bitter rivals when you look back at the, yeah. at the history of those two. That's the second trade. I mean, they traded Dwayne Allen to him this year. I, I think that Ballard has respect for Belichick, and obviously Ballard has the authority to get things done. One thing about New England, they'll trade with teams that can actually get something done. They made the trade with Mike Brown and the Cincinnati Bengals for Marquise Flowers. It takes really little time when you're dealing with Mike Brown. Either Mike Brown wants to trade the guy or Mike Brown doesn't want to trade the guy. And the same thing with Indianapolis. Indianapolis had been shopping Dorsett pretty much all spring. They want to get bigger at receiver. They want mm-hmm. to be able to have guys that can block. They want guys that can go in there and help their run game. They don't want to have all these little receivers running around that don't play in the kicking game that can't affect the whole team and can't do the things they need them to do and run all the routes. So Dorsett was a piece that they had. It wasn't really a hot commodity. A lot of teams were offering late round draft picks for him, if picks, kind of second day, third day draft picks. And so what I think the Colts decided was, look, they're they're going to have trouble with the backup quarterback. One thing the Colts had this year was a lot of guys competing for the second and third job. Mm-hmm. And they realized they didn't have one. So whether it's Stephen Morris, Scott Tolzien, who they kept, they felt like if they traded Dorsett for a player, they solved a need for the next three years, which is their backup quarterback need. And I think that's why they made the deal. It gives them a chance to scratch off one of the things they have to do, which is fill up the backup quarterback. And flipping on the other side of the trade for Dorsett, you have Julian Edelman goes down, unfortunately, for the for the Patriots. And then also people forget Cyrus Jones also went down right. to a season-ending knee injury as well. So they had no returner back there. They get Philip Dorsett, who was, you know, 2015 first-round pick, 29th overall to the Colts, a guy that can get back there and maybe return some kicks or return some punts if they need him to. Was that was that sort of the aim for the Patriots to get a guy like that just to make sure they have that position handled? No, I, I think, you know, certainly I think if he can do that, that's great. I think uh, the, you're going to have to earn the trust of the Patriots to catch punts for them. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the sacred areas on their team. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that that's going to just be grandfathered into to Dorsett. He's going to have to prove he can handle the ball because they take a lot of pride in their punt return team. And I think Cyrus was getting better at it. Unfortunately, he had that non-contact injury, much like Edelman, and is out for the season. But I think the Dorsett trade is more about moving Chris Hogan into the slot. I think Hogan replaces Edelman, and what you're going to see is Dorsett gives them somebody that you have to guard on the outside. Okay, so Dorsett is not a great receiver. This isn't like the the Patriots just got another Brandon Cooks. Let's be real honest here. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got a guy who can run fast. And he's a decoy. He's going to line up opposite of Brandon Cooks, who can handle the outside quadrant of the field. And he's going to be lined up outside. And Brady's going to have to earn He's going to have to believe he can throw the ball to Dorsett. It's going to be the clearing routes. It's going to be getting him out of the way. I think it's going to be a little Dante Stallworth-ish for Patriot fans to remember. He's going to line up outside there. The key here is Hogan because when you play the Patriots, the middle of the field is going to be completely packed. So you got Gronk, you got Hogan, yep. you've got all those backs, Deion Lewis, James White, Rex Burkhead. you got the middle of the field is going to have a lot of people going where they can throw the football effectively. They need somebody on the outside that you have to – 
basically pay attention to. And Dorsett is someone you have to pay attention to. You may not think he's a great receiver. I don't think he's a great receiver. But you got to pay attention and respect the speed. And I think that's the key here. And that's why this trade was made on the Patriots side. Now, I think the other thing I think what people have to understand is Brissett, when we drafted Brissett, uh, in 2016, it wasn't with the idea. Well, you know, Brady's going to be gone, and Garoppolo's going to be the back, the starter, and 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 Brissett can compete. Or this other theory. Well, you know, if we get rid of Garoppolo, then Brissett becomes the heir apparent, and we move him on. No, no, none of those conversations were talked about. So if that's not the case, Lombardi, I mean, with Brissett, what, what was the long-term plan? Was it just to have a valuable asset in the building and know that they could flip it later? You know, it's funny. When we drafted Brissett, okay, Bill Parcells lives down in Jupiter, Florida, near Belichick, and he had developed a relationship with a coach and became knew a lot about Brissett as a person, as a player, and kind of was, and in their conversations, Belichick and Parcells, Parcells was like, hey, this kid's a unique kind of kid. He's got great leadership skills, and he does all those things. So we did a lot of work on him. We brought him in for the, uh, typically what, what happens in New England is you'll bring, they bring two quarterbacks in at a time. They give them uh, five or six things to do, chest them out, see how they handle things mentally. And Brissett was excellent at all those things. Mm-hmm. And I think what you saw last year is Brissett's leadership ability. You saw his ability to have players around him. He can move. He's athletic. I think the longer you go into Brissett, I think the problems area become, can he anticipate throws? Can he throw the ball before the receiver's open? Does he hold on to the ball too long? All those answers are yes. Is his accuracy great? I would say it's average. And I think what you looked at when you saw him is you saw a guy, I think from the Patriots standpoint, was he became a replaceable player in the sense that they can find a backup quarterback or find somebody who they can develop. And so when they could trade a replaceable player for a guy that they needed to do a specific thing, which is what Dorsett will do, which is clear out routes, then you make that trade. Does that mean that that Garoppolo is the lock to be the starter? And no, none of those. Brissett that doesn't attach itself. It's a completely single issue. The Patriots now will look for a young developmental quarterback to put on the practice squad because they're going to need one. You can't give all the reps to Brady and, and Garoppolo in terms of throwing. So they'll try to develop somebody. But this is the third string quarterback we're talking about. And for the Patriots, they decided this year wasn't the year to carry three. Last year was because of Brady's suspension. And I think the other thing you're seeing is a lot of people in the league are no longer carrying. I mean, the Browns are carrying four quarterbacks. The Kansas City is carrying three. But most teams are just carrying two because it doesn't really pay to carry three. Like the Bears are carrying three. I'm not sure they need three. They could really get rid of Sanchez yep. and just go with Glennon and, and Trubisky. I think they're wasting a roster spot. And I think we really won't know how many teams actually carry three quarterbacks until Saturday when the rosters have to be fixed in terms of vested veterans. So, for example, if Sanchez is on the team Sunday at uh, Saturday at 4 o'clock, then he's guaranteed his salary for the entire season. Wow. I think we won't really know until that day whether, whether teams are carrying three or two, but most teams in the league are carrying two. So that's where I think the Brissett trade comes in. Well, what about teams that are carrying two kickers? That's pretty tough. Like the Carolina Panthers, can you believe that? Well, they won't carry two. They're just so. I think what people really misunderstand here is so it's roster management, right? So this is the time of the year where you're trying to figure out roster management. Coaches don't even get this. So you have 53 players you're allowed, and everybody starts with, well, we've got to keep eight offensive linemen, we've got to keep seven. This, no, 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 no. The way you really manage the roster is by who do you think you can get on the practice squad. 
because from 46, from 47 to 61, those guys ain't playing anyway. Mm -hmm. So whether they're on the practice squad or on your team, it really doesn't matter. And I think what you're seeing with the Panthers are all they're doing is having a week-long tryout. They'll eventually cut one of those kickers once they make a decision, and they'll move a guy from their practice squad up. It's just all roster management, and that's how they're handling it. And hopefully you don't lose a player like that when you do that. I mean, sometimes teams will lose players through roster management, but for the most part, teams stay away from other teams' players, especially as they get ready for the week of the game. Can you think of an example of when that's happened? Does that happen with like Danny Woodhead with the Jets, the Patriots back in the day? I, I was trying to think of. Absolutely. It happens all the time. Yeah. And what teams try to do is they'll cut a guy on Thursday of the week of the game. All right. So if you cut a guy Thursday, he clears the waiver wire Friday at four. If you cut a guy Friday before the game, he doesn't clear the waiver wire until Monday, which gives the teams a weekend to go through the see their injury list, they claim them. So that Thursday waiver is really important because it forces a team to say, you know what, we really like this player. We'll create a roster spot for him with a guy that we don't really like or we'll put him on practice. Okay, So you really got to like a player to claim him on Thursday. It's no big deal because essentially – but I don't think fans really understand. We hear too much about this, who has control of the 53. It's the most bullshit thing you could ever do. Okay, <laughs> it's who dresses on Sunday that matters. Mm-hmm. So the head coach should control 1 to 46. From Let's say from 50 to 61, which is the practice squad, or 63, those guys should be the GM's guys. And you move those around. Some guys are on the roster. They're making a little bit more money than the guys on the practice squad. But you can pay practice squad guys anything you want. So essentially, you could, carry, you could pay a practice squad guy a full salary of his NFL contract, and the teams that have all this cap room, they might as well do it just to keep keep their team together. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Seattle Seahawks making a big splash over the weekend with the trade. This is for you business owners and business leaders. Tell me if you said any of these things before. Why is it taking accounting so long to close the books? How come I'm not getting sales information on real-time basis? We beat our revenue goal, but we lost money. What do you mean we're getting audited? Sounds like you've outgrown your business management software. QuickBooks and spreadsheets may have worked fine at the start, but now there are too many mistakes, too many delays, and you can't get fast answers. I want to tell you about the number one business management solution for growing companies, NetSuite from Oracle. NetSuite lets you see what's going on with your business in real time. Revenues, expenses, customers, orders, even HR. You can run your business from a dashboard on your phone. And with hands-on help, you're up and running fast. That's why thousands of companies across America use NetSuite 10 times larger than its nearest competitor. It's the last business system you'll ever need. Go to NetSuite slash football to get your free guide called Overcoming Your Five Obstacles to Growth. That's NetSuite slash football. To get your free guide and find out NetSuite can simplify your life, go to netsuite.com slash football. Before we move on, I want to point out that for over 20 years, DirecTV has been the exclusive home to the NFL Sunday ticket, the only way to get live games every Sunday. I love it. Good news, NFL fans. DirecTV has expanded the service. If you live in an apartment or you're enrolled as a college student, I would have never left my dorm room if I'd have had DirecTV. Now you can get the NFL Sunday ticket without a satellite. To see if you're eligible, go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv and stream every NFL Sunday ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use the promo code RINGER at checkout to save 15%. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv, promo code RINGER. 
If you're like me, you've been waiting since February 6th for football season to start again. And you know what? Football season is here, and there's no better way to get closer to the game you love than with DraftKings One Week Fantasy Football. To celebrate, DraftKings is hosting a $100,000 contest this Sunday, and it's totally free to enter. If you draft the perfect lineup, you could win $1 billion. With DraftKings, there are many ways to play. Choose between public contests with big cash prizes or private contests where you compete against groups of, of your friends. DraftKings also has a beginner and casual contest where you'll play against a couple people of similar skill. The best part, you get to draft a new team each week without any commitment. So go to DraftKings.com now and use promo code RINGER to play in DraftKings free contest with $100,000 in total prizes this Sunday. And if you draft the perfect lineup, you can win $1 billion. That's promo code RINGER to play for your shot to win $1 billion this Sunday. The contest is totally free to enter, and why wouldn't you try? DraftKings, the game inside the game. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, Lombardi, uh, there was actually a, a pretty big trade that happened over the weekend on Friday. The Seattle Seahawks traded their receiver, Jermaine Curse, to the New York Jets for uh, defensive lineman and former defensive rookie of the year, Sheldon Richardson. Pretty big deal. Uh, Sheldon Richardson, for people that don't remember, Pro Bowl player in 2014, a guy that a lot of people like in New York, and now he's uh, heading to Seattle after four years there with the Jets. What does this mean for the Jets, and what does this mean for the Seahawks? They just got a good piece in the interior line. Well, I, I think, look, let's look at it from the Seahawks' standpoint. First of all, Seattle is about the ball. Mm-hmm. If you listen to read anything or you understand anything about Pete Carroll, it's all about the ball. And last year, they couldn't create turnovers. Last year, they were 19th in turnovers created uh, in the National Football League. They were 19th in the NFL in turning point, turnovers to points. This is not who Seattle is. They don't win games. Unless they turn the ball over, they had eight fumble recoveries and 11 interceptions, okay? So that's they had 19 turnovers last year that they created. That's not good. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a little bit more than one a game. That's not Seattle football. And people say, well, they lost Earl Thomas. Okay, great. They lost Earl Thomas. You know, where they what they've lost is, is their inside ability to pressure the passer. That's what they haven't been able to sustain going back to the last time they were in the Super Bowl. They need a big three technique. They need somebody who can go inside and dominate and create. Because with Michael Bennett on one side, Cliff Avery on the other, they're going to be able to draw, they can draw pass protections to them. But when they get a big guy inside and the center has to slide to him and he can create some havoc internally, that's how you get, that's how you get turnovers. What people don't understand a lot is you, you value the speed of your defense by the ability to create fumbles. Okay? Mm-hmm. So – Fumbles are results of speed of the defense. It's the Einstein theory of power and mass go together, whatever the hell that is, and I'm not a scientist. But the reality of it is, is you got to be able – defensive linemen create turnovers from they run and chase the ball. 300-pound man hits a receiver at, at 200 pounds, and all of a sudden you get an explosive and the ball comes out. Seattle's lost that. They get that back now. Now they have one of the most disruptive defensive fronts in football. To me, I think this is a move similar to when I was at the Raiders in 2002 when we signed Big Sam Adams as a free agent late in the year. When we signed Sam Adams to add to our defensive front, I felt like at that point we were going to go to the Super Bowl. That was in the summer. That was right before the season started. I felt like we were going to go to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way with Seattle. I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl because this front is really, really good. It's going to be hard to block. And then all the other pieces fall into place. How much credit does Schneider and Pete Carroll really get? I mean, they've made some big moves over the years. I mean, 2010, the Marshawn Lynch trade, you know, 2013, they make the Percy Harvin deal. 2015, they do Jimmy Graham. You know, they they, they uh, restructured Doug Baldwin's deal to get that $5.2 billion, you know, for more cap space. 
I just feel like a lot of people talk about the Seahawks and their defense and Legion, the boom and Russell Wilson, but Schneider and Pete Carroll have really just been a mastermind of figuring out ways to get guys in there and make big deals. Yeah. They're one of the eight. There's no doubt about it. Tate. I mean, they're a team that you have to compete against because they're going to try to improve their team. And they've done a good job this offseason. New England gets a lot of talk about how good their offseason has been. I think Seattle has been on par, if not better, than New England because they've gone back to their roots. They've gone back to the things that they they really believe in. And rebuilding this defensive front is important. Now, look, the Malik McDowell kid that they drafted in the second round, mm-hmm. he may not play football. I mean, yep. he's really injured. He's got some – he had that, that injury off the field in terms of the summer, a head injury. Yeah, it was an ATV accident, I believe. ATV, yeah. I mean, I hear from people around the league, he may not play football again. Mm. And so they're dealing with that because of, of the head injury. And so they come back here. They take Richardson, who is – if you talk to anybody who's been at the Jets – whether it's ex-coaches, ex-players, if you talk to anybody who's been around Richardson, no one really enjoys being around Richardson. Richardson is, uh, how do I want to say this politely without getting sued? Richardson is is not a nice player, okay? Nobody enjoys his company. He's a pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. He's not good in the locker room. But he comes into Seattle, and this is where I think nobody really understands it. You know, for the Jets to deal with Richardson every day, it's a pain in the ass. It's always a problem. And if they start losing, he's going to become a bigger problem. Seattle doesn't have that problem because when he walks into Seattle's locker room, he's a new one. Yep. He comes in there, and he's got to look at Cliff Averill. He's got to look at, at Michael Bennett. He's got to look at Bobby Wagner, and he's got to look at Earl Thomas, and he's got to look at Cam Chancellor. And all of a sudden, he ain't the big fish in the pool. And they'll tell him to shut the F up and get his ass in line because he ain't done nothing. Okay, those guys have rings on their finger, and they can tell him. They'll discipline Sheldon Richardson, which is the only way to do it. So for this trade, really, it's about the culture of Seattle's locker room. This is why they can take the risk that they take, whether it's with Percy Harvin, Jimmy Graham. Not all of them are going to work out. Seattle's like New England. They admit when they screw it up. They get rid of them. They get rid of Percy Harvin as soon as they could, right? Yep, absolutely. They knew what they had to do. So it's the culture that's going to handle Sheldon Richardson. For the Jets' part, they had to get rid of the guy. The guy's a cancer in the locker room. He was a problem for them. Whether it was whatever coach you talked to, nobody wanted to deal with this guy. And when they start to lose, so they get rid of him. Now, they could have gotten a compensatory pick, which would have been a, a low three, yep. which would have been a pick somewhere in the 90s, right? Now, instead, they're going to get a pick somewhere in the 60s, let's say. Say Seattle goes to the Super Bowl. You know, they're going to get Seattle's second-round pick. Say that's 64, 63, if they've been on to win the Super Bowl. That's a lot better pick. And they get the throw-in Jermaine Curse, who really is the throw-in in the deal. The pick for the, the Jets is what makes the Richardson trade so effective. They get a legitimate receiver that they need badly. They need somebody who's who knows the offense, who could help Josh McCown go out there and execute the offense. Plus, they, they cashed in early, and they got a second-round pick. This is kind of reminiscent a little bit of the Sammy Watkins deal that the Rams made. The Rams traded... The Rams traded away their second-round pick for a guy who's going to be a free agent. But the difference here is Seattle's probably going to be picking in the 60s. The Rams are going to be picking in the high high 30s. Yep, that uh, that makes sense. I mean, the, the thing with the Jets is obviously it looks like they're all pointed to trying to revamp and, and go young with that team. They're going to have a lot of rookies out there playing for the, for the New York Jets this season. Right, and, um, they, and, and they had to get rid of the, the locker room. I mean, look, this, guy's, this guy creates – because he's Sheldon Richardson and the way you described him, he's the rookie of the year. He's had 18 career stats. He's 27 years old. He has, he has a presence in that locker room. He has respect 
or he has some kind of way to where he can cultivate people in that locker room. When he goes to Seattle, all that stuff washes away. But for the Jets, he's a problem dealing with them every single day because every day is what I call a national anthem day. It's a, You start all over with this jerk again because he's going to come in here. He's going to bitch about the food. He's going to be late. You're going to have to find – I mean, it's just a problem. They got rid of a problem a year early, which to me is the best thing they could have done. And for people that don't realize, Sheldon Richardson just got in trouble uh, with Todd Boyle, Todd Bowles, the head coach of the Jets, by uh, publicly criticized Brandon Marshall, his former teammate that's now with the New York Giants. So I think that was the last straw, and, you know, they got rid of him. So New York Jets are moving forward and uh, pushing forward. Uh, Lombardi, when you're just looking at the, the 53-man, just the original cuts over the weekend, was there just any some, some big names that stood out to you? One, one of the ones that really stuck out to me is uh, Matt Jones gets cut by the Redskins, obviously. You know, he was a guy that looked like he could be the future of the running back position for them. He gets picked up by the Colts. Could that be something that, you know, a sneaky pickup for the Colts to get someone in the backfield other than Frank Gore? Yeah, I think the Colts need to look. You know, they have uh, Turbin back there. They don't really have a lot of depth. I think this is a good move. I, I'm not as high on Matt Jones. I think Matt Jones, to me, was – I know Scott McLuhan, their former general manager, really thought he was one of the best players that, that they had. I thought he was overdrafted. Mm-hmm. But, look, it's a good pickup for them. They need a big back. They need somebody to take the pressure off of Frank Gore. They want to run the football more in Indianapolis. Obviously, this week when they play with Scott Tozine, a quarterback, they're going to have to run the ball because if the ball's in his hands too much. I don't know how Vegas, I don't know how Cousin Sal's handling the odds this week. <laughs> I mean, our, this is going to be like the best podcast of all to listen to, Tate, is, is, is Cousin Sal trying to handicap opening games when he has Nate Perryman starting a quarterback. He's got Josh McCown. He's got, you know, some of these guys that are playing. Kaiser's playing. Mike Glennon's playing. Flacco hasn't thrown a ball all summer. We're going to watch him. You know, Trevor Simeon. It could be the, it could be the yeah, return of the heist. Simeon. I mean, Simeon's not going to stay healthy all season. I mean, the heist is going to come back in and play. I mean, this is too good. I mean, I just want to see how Cousin Sal's handle on this. I know he uh, he's probably really heard that Kellen Moore got cut by the Cowboys, but I can't believe that. That was the, you asked me the shocker of all. I thought Kellen Moore getting cut was my, to me the all time shocker. <laughs> you know, I will say this: I think you can really tell what teams think of themselves by what they do this time of the year. And I really think Pittsburgh. You know, they add Joe Hayden, they get J.J. Wilcox. Mm-hmm. You know, they talked all last year about their young secondary, and all of a sudden now they're bringing veterans in, which tells you one thing. They're not happy with the younger players they have or they're not ready for the role that they think they can put them in, which is fine. You know, Hayden comes in, he'll play a role for them. But I think Pittsburgh was really active at the tr- at, at the final cut day. I think Pittsburgh likes their team. I think they're trying to add pieces to their team. I think Seattle did too, and I think New England did too. But for me, the two teams that I think that, that improve their team, they're so active – it's amazing. They're really good teams, and they stay active as New England and Seattle. Meanwhile, some other teams, you just sit there and say, are you going to do anything? Are you going to try to improve your team just a little bit? And they just sit back and keep watching. Yeah, and uh, Le'Veon Bell signed his franchise tender for all the Steelers fans out there that were concerned about that. Uh, another name that clicked across that uh, got in my head a little bit, Tom Bahali with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. He will be on the PUP list, so he will not be able to play the first six games of the season like you mentioned earlier. So that's probably a big hit for the Chiefs not to have him out there. Yeah, I mean, they get D Ford back and Justin Houston. Both guys are really good. That means Frank Zama is going to have to play mm-hmm. in the three-man rotation when they do it. So I, I think that's a smart play. I think sometimes what fans don't understand is these veteran guys, their name recognition is powerful. But what happens to you, if a veteran player looks good in August – 
he's going to look like crap in in December. You know, yep. it, the problem is they don't get better. Older players don't get better as the season wears on. They usually kind of tend to wear down. What Dwight Freeney did in the Super Bowl is to me one of the most remarkable things because Dwight Freeney played horribly most of the season. He was just another guy out there. Mm-hmm. In the Super Bowl, he looked like the Dwight Freeney in his prime. I mean, he made Nate Solder struggle. That, to me, the, if they win the game, he should have been the MVP because he was a disruptive force. They didn't win, obviously. But the reality of it is, is some older guys tend to wilt as the year goes on. And I think that what they're doing with Tom Holly is a smart play because you want them ready for December. You don't need them in September. You need them in December when the games really matter. And the Chiefs also signed C.J. Spiller, so they have some help in the backfield. Yeah. Um, one other name that stuck out to me, uh, Jeremy Curley also um, – was cut from the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. He was one of their best receivers. People probably remember him from the Jets. The Jets should bring him back. And the thing that's amazing is the 49ers, you know, Trent Balky before he got fired, he signed Curley to a contract. They signed a bunch of guys, Quentin Dial to a contract extension, uh, Vance McDonald to a contract extension. Now all of a sudden, they're, they and all those three guys they cut. So it just shows you really that they were there's such a disconnect between the evaluations in San Francisco to the reality in San Francisco. Yeah, speaking of disconnects and evaluations, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a lot of people have seen on hard knocks, uh, the rookie running back Jeremy McNichols was having some trouble uh, kind of grasping the offense, and then he uh, ended up getting cut by the Bucks. So that's tough when you draft a guy high and, and you can't even make your roster in the first yeah. year. So. I, I mean, you, you two ways to look at it. You can say, well, we're so good that even our high draft picks couldn't make it, or you better go back and look at what, what happened and what caused you to make that pick. And I think the one thing people don't realize is in the draft's not a perfect science. I mean, you're going to be 70% right. You're really good. And I, and I think that you have to go back and analyze your draft pick mistakes more than sit there and just pound yourself on the chest and think you got it going. I think the Bucks are a good team, though. I think the Bucks getting T.J. Ward. It's funny, John Spitek, their, their director of player personnel down in in Tampa, Justin, along with Jason Light, the general manager. I mean, they've kind of Ward was with him in Cleveland with Spitek in Cleveland. He helped them in Denver, and now they take him back. I would be worried about signing T.J. Ward more for penalties and his lack of coverage mm-hmm. than to me, they paid him more money according to to what I've read. They paid him more money than what he was due to get in, in Denver. And they go ahead and tr- cashed in J.J. Wilcott, who they traded today to the Pittsburgh Steelers because they wanted T.J. Ward to be their starting strong safety, and there's no sense in having Wilcott on the team. So it's going to be uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. I'm not sure that T.J. Ward is the same player that people think he is. That was sort of my question on Ward. So a lot of the the, the Broncos players were saying there was going to be uh, it was going to bother some players if T.J. Ward was released by the team, and he gets released, he ends up signing with the Buccaneers. I mean, does that hurt that locker room in Denver to have a guy like T.J. Ward who is that leader? I mean, I know he's on the last year of his deal already, going to his, to the fourth year. But I mean, for that, for those guys in the locker room, that defense to have a guy like Ward leave, do you think the Broncos' defense will take a hit? Or no, I mean that defense is about Von Miller. That's what it's about. It's about Von Miller and Talib. I think the hardest thing that defense is going to have is can they play from in front? Can their offense score enough points? Is Trevor Simeon going to be good enough? I think they had to play Justin Simmons. I think Justin Simmons is a good player. They needed to get him on the field. They drafted him in the third round. He's a young guy. They got three. They have three more years of him. They need to play him. They need to find out. Had a chance to save some cap room. Okay, and then it, it gets you a young player on the field. I think it's a smart play, and they couldn't trade them. Nobody seemed to want them. They tried to trade them. Nobody wanted them. I think this is how you manage rosters in today's salary cap era. You've got to be able to to move the older guy out if you like the young player, if the young player can play. And it's the opposite that's happening in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's not happy with their young players right now, so they're bringing in some veteran guys. Mm-hmm. Denver seems to be happy. They're letting them go. So it's all depending on how the young players develop and how they play. 
All right, Lombardi, are there any uh, any other storylines that stuck out to you from this past weekend? Was it? Did you watch any college football games? I loved it, yeah. I, wa- I watched college football. I saw that uh, Kevin Sumlin didn't realize that the clock was his opponent and not UCLA. <laughs> I mean, how, how many times are people going to do this, right? I mean, you have a 44-10 to 10 lead and you lose the game? I mean, think of, how is that possible? You have a forty four. Do you think Kevin Sumlin and Andy Reid probably like meet in the offseason and talk about, you know, I, I their, don't know what Kevin Ke- all I know is when I watched that game, now look, Texas AM got their starting quarterback hurt, but when I was watching the game early, it was a complete mismatch. I mean, A and M was by far the better team. I mean, it wasn't yep. really I mean, and all of a sudden Josh Rosen came back and made some plays and I mean A and M's gotta feel like crap today losing that game. Forty four to ten on a hot day in LA where most teams are wilting, but I think what happened to A and M was they didn't realize that once their their pass rush couldn't get the Rosen, which it was getting early, all of a sudden, you know, that's how he became a better player. He started throwing the ball around. That was a huge win for UCLA because at 44-10, to 10, who thought they were going to come back from that? Yeah, I thought college football was great this weekend. I think it was hilarious. I was uh, on Twitter. I, uh, somebody was saying how that lack of experience for Alabama's defense is really going to cost them. And I'm thinking, does anybody understand, like, experience? Who has experience? I mean, like, really? Like, they're, they're, the lack of experience is a reason why you think Florida State was going to come in and beat them? I mean, there's they have experience. The coaches have coached this system. They have practice in the spring. I mean, just because you have newer players playing doesn't mean that they lack experience. They've all played. I mean, it's a rel- college is a relatively young game. It's not pro football. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, to me, the Alabama win didn't surprise me at all. I thought that anybody thought that Florida State was going to win would have been the shock. I like that coastal diversity. We got a little UCLA. We got a little East Coast with Alabama. Oh, it's uh, awesome. I mean, State. what, what uh, better? I mean, I, I mute the TV and watch a bunch of college games. It's the best thing of all. I mean, because one thing I know this, every announcer that I listen to has no idea what the coverage is. They have no idea what the coverage is. It's it's hilarious. Even when it's man-to-man and they think it's man-to-man, they don't really understand it. It's like they should teach TV people should be taught, like, coverages. Like, they have no idea. Like, if an over route comes over and the safety doesn't take it, you know, that doesn't mean the corner blew the coverage. You know, like, there's, like, switch coverages and there's match coverage. It's just hilarious. Anyway, that's one of my pet peeves. Yeah, Chris Collinsworth should teach a class to all the media people. You know, all the color guys, he should just give them a little lesson they should, they what sh- they should be looking for. I, I think they're going to need a pro person in there to teach some coverages because I don't think not everybody – like, look, I'll tell you this. Even the pro – sometimes the way it's taught in pro football, it's hard to understand the coverages. You'll watch coverage on pro football, you're like, wait a minute, I got to check with this. You know, I'll say to Belichick, hey, what do you think about – you know, like, you got to like, ah, I think this is the way they're doing it. Anyway. That's one of my pet peeves. I like it. That was a good rant to uh, wrap up this podcast. Get home, Tate. Yeah, this has uh, been a great Labor Day. I will be back tomorrow. We're going to record and we're going to give it a podcast up Wednesday. Another GM Street will be out before the first week of the football season. Lombardi, thank you for working on this Labor Day. I can't believe that. Uh, you're such a great guy. I got you, Tate. Don't worry. I appreciate it. That, look, we're doing the, the good work of the football fans and the good work of the NFL, even in the offseason before it really kicks up. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back Wednesday. Thanks, Tate. DraftKings is celebrating the return of football, yes, by giving you a chance to be crowned the first ever fantasy football billionaire. What are you going to do with all that coin? Draft the perfect lineup in the free $100,000 fantasy football contest this Sunday, and you can win $1 billion. Use promo code RINGER and play free only at DraftKings.com. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details.